there are uh, a few people in the Bible that I would like to meet. And I don't know about you, maybe you have this where you think like, yeah, when I get to heaven, I want to meet so-and-so. You know, this person, oh, they, they saw this or they experienced this. Oh, that seems really cool. Or maybe they were like, for me, an awesome fighter and like, you know, awesome, like the mighty man. I want to meet those guys. Yeah, you know, maybe they can show me some moves or something. Or, um, or great preachers, people who proclaimed incredible messages of faith or wrote letters of faith. And you're like, oh, I'd be really neat to meet some of those people. And there's also some people that I don't want to meet. That if I'm walking down the grocery store aisle of heaven and save on heaven foods, and I see certain people, I will maybe turn and go the other aisle. It's possible. And one of those people for me is John the Baptist. I have an actual picture of him. It's been passed down through the generations. This isn't a real, real picture of John the Baptist or what I picture him looking like. John the Baptist was, he was one of those people that when I think about him, like meeting him, he scares me. You know, he's this guy, he's out there yelling in the wilderness, and actually, it says he went out there as a child, like, like a child, like a young adult child, or like, what does that mean? He went out to the wilderness, and he's out there, and he wears this, you know, camel skin outfit that I picture like he probably went and killed a camel himself. And skinned in, put on this camel skin. And then it says he's wearing, he wears this leather belt, which I'm like, well, that's, what does that mean, a leather belt? Is that scary or I don't know, or is that weird? He's got this leather belt and he's out there and, and he eats locust and honey, I hope together, the locust and honey, maybe dip them and they're just crunchy, taste like honey. But like, this guy sounds scary. And the, the sermons he preached, you look at the stuff he said, he, he, this is how he starts the sermons. You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able to raise up from these stones children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the tree. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Like, this is his sermon. Like, you seem scary. And the people respond. They're like, what should we do? What should we do? And they're like responding to him. And then he talks about Jesus. And I think, oh, now his sermon will take an uptake. He's talking about Jesus. Kind, gentle, loving Jesus. This is what he says. about His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Like, this is John the Baptist. This guy seems really intense, doesn't he? This was the kind of message people expected from a prophet. When they went out to hear John, this is the kind of message they're expecting. This is the kind of way you'd expect God to talk to sinners, isn't it? With unquenchable fire and the winnowing fork. But remember, Jesus is bringing this message of good news for everyone. That's what we've titled our sermon series. It's good news for everyone. 
for everyone. And his preaching was always hopeful for the downcast sinner, and it provoked the self-righteous religious people. This is how Jesus gave his message. Today, Jesus is talking about barren trees, but it's not the outcome we'd expect. It's a different kind of ending to the story. So let's read it together. It's just really short. Luke chapter 13, verses 5 to 9. I'm going to add in the one um, Tim had in his passage last week, just leading in. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I've, been, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. It's a good Bible passage. talks about manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. If not, you can cut it down. And my big idea this morning is that we get the fruit God is seeking when we respond to Jesus, the patient gardener. When we respond to Jesus, the patient gardener. God is seeking fruit. One of my favorite stories uh, that I love to tell in the Bible is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And that might sound weird to you. I don't know. Maybe it sounds weird. It's, a, it's an incredible story. Now, most, lots of people, I wouldn't say most people, but lots of people have heard of Sodom and Gomorrah. Even if you don't know the Bible, you kind of have this idea of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's like, oh, that place is like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's like this immoral place. Maybe it's sexually immoral. You've got this idea of like Sodom and Gomorrah is like, it's a free-for-all of morality. It's just this, this you know, cesspool. And we have this idea, and in the Bible, this is where we get this idea from, is because the story of Sodom and Gomorrah involves God coming to Abraham, and Abraham's nephew Lot lives in Sodom and Gomorrah, and God comes to Abraham, and he's with two angels, but they look like guys, and they're all standing together, and and the two of the guys start walking down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Lord says to Abraham this. The Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come up to me. And if not, I will know. And then the story goes on. Abraham, who knows his nephews there, begins to barter with God, begins to start this thing. He says, oh, oh God, but you know... For, like, would you destroy the righteous with the unrighteous, with the sinner? Like, what about for if, you, if you could find 50 good people in that city? What, what about if you could find 50 people? Would you still destroy the city? And God says, okay, no, I won't destroy the city. And then Abraham says, well, I mean, what's five people? I mean, don't, don't get angry, God, but like five people, five people. I mean, 45. So what about for 45? Would you do it for 45? And God says, Okay, I won't destroy the city for 45. And then Abraham says, you know, don't be angry, don't be angry. But I, I, I know you're so just and fair. Like, I, t- I have a hard time picturing you destroy all of the righteous with all of the unrighteous. You know, what, what about for 40? And he goes on 40 and then 30. 
and then 20, and God says, okay, I won't destroy it. I won't destroy it. For 10, even just for 10, would you save the city for just 10? If we can just find 10 people in this city. And God says, I'll spare the city for 10. And as the angels go down, they can't even find 10. And they still go and they rescue Lot and his family and bring them out of Sodom and Gomorrah before destruction. God comes looking. I love this picture. I told this story once at camp, and the camp director came up to me after, and he said, I don't like it that you made it sound like God didn't know something. God knows everything, so you shouldn't tell the story like God didn't know that already. And I said, your issue is with the Bible, because that's exactly what it says. It's presented this way. Like God is searching and looking. And there are times where God searches, where times where judgment and mercy meet. Adam is in the garden with Eve and they're hiding. And God comes and says, where are you? Where are you? Does God not know where Adam and Eve are hiding? Where are you? Cain kills his brother Abel. And then he's there and God comes to to Cain and he says, where is your brother? Cain. Abraham looking to Sodom and God says, I'm going to go down and see. Abraham, do you want to say anything? Want to barter? Jacob is in the river and he's wrestling with God and God says, what's your name? (laughs) What? You don't know his name? No, 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 no. These are strange moments where God is looking for things he already knows. Where he's looking for things he already knows. And Jesus tells a story about an owner of a vineyard who's coming and looking in his vineyard. He's looking at the trees. He's looking for fruit. Now, for us, we might be like, oh, now who's this? Who's that? Who's that? In this story, anyone who's listening to Jesus, there's no question who the owner of the vineyard is for them. Because they already have this picture that for the, the owners the vineyard, of the vineyard is God. And the vineyard is Israel. That's how they would hear this story. Because in the prophets, that's how they talk about it. All the way through. And Jesus tells a whole bunch of other parables. And he uses these same pictures. As God is the owner of the vineyard. And Israel, or the Jews, are alternately workers in the vineyard. They're field hands. They're trusted servants. They're tenants. And their fruit-bearing trees and their vines in all sorts of different stories. And a vineyard is for grapes. Nobody responded there, but it was almost rhetorical, so that's okay. A vineyard is for grapes. An orchard is for fruit. You getting it? A field is for grain, right? These things are pictures of something coming to life. And the reality is God is not building a statue or a monument. He's not making garden gnomes. He's building something that's living, something alive. Pictures like gardens and vineyards and orchards and trees and living things. Paul uses the picture of a body for the church. And God is coming to his garden to evaluate. He's coming to search and look and judge and weigh. 
And this kind of talk is all the way through the Bible as well. Jeremiah 17, verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Romans chapter 2, verses 6 to 7. This is the New Testament. Paul writes, he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Wrath and fury. Revelations chapter 20, verse 12. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the next verse, in case you think it's a typo, is the, says the same thing. They were judged according to what they had done. Now, this it feels a bit scary, I think, for me. I wonder, like, this sounds scary. We're going to be judged according to what we've done, but, like, what, what, what is God looking for then? This feels like an important question. If God is going to judge us, if, if we're going to be measured... We should know, like, what is God looking for? What does he want from us in our lives? What, what, what's the thing he's going to be looking at? He says, I have come seeking fruit. And if we really thought about it, this should concern us too. <laughs> Concerns me when I think about the fruit. And I look again in the Bible, and there's all these places that talk about what kind of fruit or how much fruit. Jeremiah 32, 19. Oh, great and mighty God, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. Isaiah 27, verse 6. In days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. The whole world with fruit? That's a lot of fruit. Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 12 says, And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food, and their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit Every month, because the water for them flows from the sanctuary, and their fruit will be for food, and their leaves for healing. Fruit that won't fail. Food and healing for the nations. Fruit to fill the whole world. That feels like a lot of pressure. If I think about that, and I think about me. Saying, that's a lot of pressure. I don't know if I have that much fruit. I don't know if that's, if I'm there. And God comes looking and finds a barren tree. There's a story of a guy who walked into a bar and he went up to the bartender and he said, Hey, if you, if I can show you something truly amazing, will you give me a free drink? And the bartender says, eh, well, okay. I mean, I'm going to judge. So truly amazing. Okay. Yeah, sure. Okay. And the guy reaches into his jacket and he pulls out a little gerbil, puts the gerbil on the counter, and the gerbil runs across the counter, down, jumps on the stool, jumps down, runs over to the piano, and starts playing the piano. And he's jumping around on the piano and it's playing a tune. And everyone is staring at this gerbil. And the bartender, shh, it's like, that's truly amazing. And they walk, they're all watching this gerbil, and the guy drinks his drink. And a minute or two, a few minutes later, he says, if I can show you, like, what if we double down? What if I can show you something, again, truly amazing? Would you give me another drink? And the bartender's like, yeah, no, I'm in. I'm in. Sure. And the guy reaches into his other side of his jacket, and he pulls out a frog. And he puts the frog on the, t- on the, on the bench. 
And then the frog starts talking. Hey, man, can I get a drink too? Oh, and he starts telling all these jokes. And everyone's staring at the frog. And the bartender, shh, wow. Just then this one of the people watching runs over. He's like, I'll give you $300 for that frog. $300 for the frog. And the guy's like, oh, $300. Yeah, okay, okay. He gives him the 300 And the guy grabs the frog and runs out. And the bartender says, are you crazy? That frog is worth millions of dollars. You already just got two free drinks. How could you give that frog for $300? And the guy said, well, I'm just not going to sell my ventriloquist gerbil. (laughs) It'll take a minute for some of you. A talking frog that doesn't talk is worth nothing. Not even $300. A talking frog that doesn't talk isn't worth anything. And a tree that is meant to bear fruit that doesn't is just like a dead stick. It's just a dead tree. God wanted fruit to fill the whole world. And he's looking at a barren tree. My question always is, is this about me? Jesus is telling a story. I say, is this about me? I'm paying attention. Is this about me? When Jesus tells this story, unquestionably, he's talking to the people who are listening to him. The people of his day who are standing there listening. This story is to them. Hosea chapter 9 verse 10 says, Like the grapes of the wilderness, I found Israel like the first fruit on the fig tree in its first season. So there's already a picture in the prophets from Hosea where God references Israel like the fruit, like a fig tree. Israel is a fig tree. And Jesus, the very son of God, has preached among them. And for three years, he demonstrated the kingdom and his glory as he healed the sick and proclaimed good news and set free the oppressed. And he taught them with wisdom from heaven. And he's acted with amazing authority. And he's proclaimed the coming kingdom. And he's about to give his life to set them free. Now, John had said before, and I told you his sermon, he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So what's the fruit of repentance? Some people responded to Jesus. They followed him. They responded. And a big group of people chose not to respond to Jesus. So what was the fruit of their repentance? It was a dead tree. It was a barren tree. The ground was hard. People saw the miracles of Jesus and they wanted more. Do another miracle. I just did one. Do another one. Do one right now. Right now. No, right now. I want to see one right now. Do it for me. Or people saw demons cast out. Dramatically, powerfully. And their response was, he must be demon-possessed. That's their response. People saw love and they called him a glutton and a drunkard for hanging out with sinners. They didn't respond to Jesus. They didn't listen and they didn't see and they chose not to change. And this is about them and this is also about us. And you say, oh, I knew it. I knew you were going to do this, Jonathan. You always do. You, you, yes. Okay, fine. Yeah. Okay, this is about me. I'm the barren tree rejected by God because I'm not good enough. I don't, I don't do good enough. My, I'm judged according to my deeds. 
I knew the church was going to be like this. Our spectacular failures, my epic breakdowns. Yeah, the time I got angry, yeah, I'm going to be judged on that. Okay, I cheated on that exam, fine. I lusted, I lied, I was proud, selfish. Yeah, I spent too much time on the internet. I didn't read my Bible enough. Okay, fine. I drank too much beer. I'm the barren tree who binged watched too much Netflix. Yeah, okay, I knew you were going to say that. This is our problem. Our problem is that we, we anguish wondering, am I the barren tree? Am I the barren tree? What does that mean? I'm the barren tree. I'm probably the barren tree, aren't I? Aren't I? As with so much Jesus says, he's drawing a line between the good news of the gospel and religion. That's the line he's drawing. Repentance is turning. It's a turning. It's a changing our direction and our thinking. It's going the other direction. And we often think of repentance as turning from bad to good. I was bad and now I'm good. Yes, this is bad and God is good. Okay, that's my repentance. Which is why so many people have a hard time with repentance. Because they say, bad. I'm not really that bad. I'm, I'm pretty good. Like, I feel like I'm pretty good. So I don't understand what I'm, what am I turning from? If is like, am I turning from like pretty good to better? Is that what we're turning from? There's a movie um, called The Natural and Robert Redford is Roy Hobbs in this movie. And um, he's a gifted baseball player. And he gets, just as he's about to start his career, he gets wrongly incarcerated for murder. And his career is cut off. And he goes to jail. And when he gets out, he's older, and he's got really no, no potential. No, he can't restart, and yet he wants to. And he ends up getting the opportunity to play for, not for a major league team, but a minor league team. And that was not even the best minor league team. It was the bottom of the trough minor league team, and it was the New York Knights was the team. They, they, they like have nothing to lose. So they're like, yeah, come play for us. And as he begins to play baseball again, the gift is still there, and he begins to lead his team to win. And they get all the way up to the climax of the film, and it's, it's the pennant playoff game. It, everything's on the line in this game, and the climax of the movie is the bottom of the ninth in this, in this game. And they're down two to zero to Pittsburgh. And there's two outs. And there's a man on first and a man on third. And Hobbs is up. And he goes up to the mound, takes his bat, and he gets ready and pitch one, strike, pitch two, strike, pitch three. He just obliterates the ball. And, and he Runs, and as he's running, the ball is up, and suddenly it's foul. And he comes back to the plate, and as he looks down at the plate, his baseball bat is smashed to pieces. It's, a, it's the only bat he's ever hit with, ever since he was a boy. It's a bat forged from a tree that was struck by lightning, and it's his magic bat, his superstitious bat. It's the bat he hits with, and it's smashed to pieces. And he has this choice, this moment where, he, where he, he's faced with the loss, and he has to choose, what am I going to do? Am I done? Or is there another way to do this? And he chooses to go ahead. He says to the boy, bat boy, go and pick me a winner. And then he goes on to bat again. This 
is the same for us. Jesus isn't calling us from good, from bad to good. He's calling us from death to life, from ourselves to himself. That when our our magic bat is smashed to smithereens, the bat, oh, we trusted this bat, we trusted this thing, this is what's getting me through. And when it's obliterated and we're faced with our loss, the question is, will we trust him? Will we turn to him? Will we entrust our lives to him and maybe do the same things in a different way? By his power and his grace. Then we become fruit-bearing trees. Romans 7 verse 4 says, Likewise, my brothers and sisters, you also have died to the law from the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. We're at our most barren when we're trying to bear fruit in religion. And we do this a lot. We do it a lot. We, we go and we, I don't know if you've ever seen wax fruit or we have plastic fruit now. Some of it looks really hokey. This bowl looks pretty hokey. Like, I don't know if that banana looks real, but it's got dark spots on it, <laughs> like some real bananas I know. But some plastic fruit looks really real, and I know this because I've been in the store with my kids, and suddenly I have a kid who's trying to eat a piece of plastic fruit. I'm taking it out of their hand. And the truth is, plastic fruit, although it can look real, very real, the more expensive it gets, it doesn't sustain you. It's not food. It's, you can put it in your bowl or hang it on your tree, but who are you, who are you kidding? You're only kidding yourself. And when we are worried about our Christian image above everything else or about our reputation in the church, oh, you know, I don't want to say I'm struggling here. I don't want to be dealing with that because I would look bad. My reputation is at stake. When we do that, we are trusting in plastic fruit on our tree. And the owner of the vineyard comes through the vineyard. He's not, he's not fooled by plastic fruit. He's looking for real fruit. Real fruit. And the only way we bear real fruit is by walking by his spirit. And we walk by the spirit by responding to Jesus. There's a story about a teacher who's helping um, a child put on their winter boots. A kindergarten teacher, and it's, you know, it's winter, and so the teacher's like, get all the kids ready, and there's one kid who's taking all his time. He can't get his boots on. So she goes over, and she's like, oh, these boots are really hard. Okay, and she gets finally gets one on. Okay, she's working really hard, gets the boot on. Okay, well, that was pretty hard. Little Johnny or whatever his name is. And uh, he's like, teacher, they're on the wrong feet. She's like, looks down. Oh my goodness, they are. Okay, let's get those off. And she finally pulls it off. Okay, oh, they, these boots don't even fit. She gets it off. Okay, and puts it back on. Right feet. Okay, and finally she gets on. And she's like, really sweating now. She's like, okay, just barely holding it together. And then he's like, teacher, these aren't even my boots. And she's like, she like, it just takes everything not to freak out and be like, why were you wearing them, little Johnny? And so she's like, okay. And she works really hard and pulls the boots off again. And then he's like, yeah, they're not my boots. They're my brother's boots, and my mom makes me wear them. And she's like, and she's like, just had it. And so she gets the boots back on, and she shoves them in there. And she's like, okay, okay. 
so now, where are your mittens? It's like, they're in the toe of my boots. <laughs> Speaking of patience, sometimes I, I feel like Jesus should feel like that teacher when he's dealing with me or with us. Like, I feel like he's got to be about at his breaking point sometimes, right? Like, I just feel like that. Like, I, I just keep doing these things. Like, there he is. And, I feel like that must be what it is. He's just, he's right at the edge of his patience. He's about to lose it. But the truth is, this parable isn't even about patience with my behavior. This is about something bigger. Something much bigger. I love that the story doesn't end the way it should. The owner comes into the vineyard. He sees the tree Lots of trees bearing fruit, doing what trees should do in the vineyard. And this one tree isn't. And he goes to the tree and says, what's the deal with this tree? I've had this tree for a long time. It's not doing its job. Let's dig it up. Let's get rid of it and put a tree there that's going to bear fruit. That makes sense. And then the next part, they cut it down. They haul it off. Burn it up for firewood, and they get a new tree in there, and it's beautiful, and it's bearing lots of fruit. That's my story. It's a story I would tell. But there's this weird ending where suddenly there's the gardener is there, and the gardener says, No, 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 just give it a little more time. Even though probably, I don't know, but just let's give it some more time. It's this beautiful picture. I, I told this story a lot of times, uh, so I apologize. Um, it fits so well, though. And it's the story of our family night, where we were on family night, we have dessert. And so many, many, many years ago, we were getting ready for our dessert, and I noticed that Gabe was not eating his peas. And so he had a pile of peas there, and so... Being the merciful father, I reduced the number of peas into what I thought was a very manageable pile for him to eat so that he could have dessert. We clear the table. He's still not ready. He's not going to do it. And so then I'm getting frustrated. So I said, okay, we're going to start serving dessert. This will motivate him. When he sees dessert, he will be motivated to eat those very few peas. And so we did this. I brought out the dessert for everyone. Everyone starts eating. And no, he's still just sitting there. And so I I was frustrated. I said, okay, that's it. When everyone is done eating dessert, there is no more dessert. Dessert time has an end. It doesn't go on forever. It will end. And when the last person's done eating, we'll be done. Dessert will be over. And your chance to get dessert will be gone. And so I'm in and I went over and like doing something and then I look back at the table and my kids are being weird if you're a parent you know this there's a thing that happens and you're like something's going on over there and I went back over there and I was like what is going on you guys are all acting weird what's going on and then one of them turned to me and said we're eating slowly so Gabe will have more time we're eating slowly so Gabe will have more time This is the patient gardener. He says, just give it a little more time. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 
says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The Greek sentence instruction makes it that it's, it's inevitable, like probably it will be the same, but still let's do it anyway. Despite the reality that some will reject God, some will reject Jesus and the salvation he offers, God is patiently waiting, wanting more trees to burst into blossom. This is God's heart. Now, I wonder, what's the work of the gardener? What's he doing? You know, I always used to think, it's my job to make fruit. I'm a Christian now. I got to make fruit. This is what we do. We're in the fruit manufacturing business. So, okay, let's make fruit. Come on. Let's do it. Let's do it. Come on. Everybody make fruit. How do you do this? Okay, we got to do it. Just love more. It just is not pretty when I do that, is it? It's like slightly disturbing probably. <laughs> yes. Thank you, honest wife. I can't make fruit in myself or in you, which is, I'm a pastor. Like, come on, guys, let's make fruit. More fruit. Let's get productive. How do we do this? I can't do it. I can't make fruit any more than a tree is trying to make fruit. They just do because that's what fruit trees do. They make fruit. It's not a thing they're trying to do. They just do it. And I take comfort in a gardener who comes along to speed the process along. Jesus calls himself also the vine and the father as the gardener. In a different picture in John chapter 15. In John chapter 15 verse 2, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Or Hebrews chapter 12, 11 says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. And our job is abiding. That's what Jesus keeps talking about in John 15. Abiding in him. That's how we get fruit. And then to grow and to become more fruitful, we are allowing him to work in us. This is the picture. We are pruned We are disciplined, which isn't always happy in the moment. But the outcome is that we become light-shining, nation-transforming, city-impacting, fruit-bearing trees like we have in our logo. I want to be that tree that's bearing fruit, that's leaves spread and blow. That's the picture for us. And our destiny is glory. Not my glory or your glory, but God's glory. Lots of verses. John 15, verse 8 says, By this my Father's glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Jeremiah chapter 17. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Colossians 1.10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. 
all the way to Revelation chapter 22. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Are you getting it? Have you seen enough verses on the screen to know that I'm not making this up? This is a running theme from start to finish in the Bible. Over and over and over. The prophets, Jesus, Paul in his letters, all the way to Revelation. This picture, this this dream, this vision of us. That we could be world-changing fruit bearers. That the fruit we bear would change the world, fill the world be the healing of the nations. And this invitation happens by the work of the Spirit in us. We become fruit trees by responding to the good news of Jesus. So, in conclusion, my big idea, which was we get the fruit God is seeking when we respond to Jesus, the patient gardener. And the picture is that instead of judgment, this parable is an invitation to response that we would respond. God is seeking fruit, and we're going to have to give account for our lives. And it starts to feel scary when we realize just how challenging it is to bear fruit, to make fruit, to manufacture fruit. But Jesus is the gardener who patiently intercedes on our behalf. His Spirit's work in us is what bears fruit in our lives. So, we respond. We respond. Firstly, I want to say, if you have never responded to Jesus, if you've never turned your heart toward him, if you've never put yourself before him and said, I want to trust you, I want to follow you, today is the day. Today is a day. It could be the day for you. Jesus gave his life to rescue and redeem you, to set you free and to transform you by his spirit. A picture of moving from one thing to the other, from death into life. Secondly, there's some people here who feel like their tree is barren. And maybe you had seasons where there was fruit on your tree, and maybe right now you're like, my tree feels pretty bare. Maybe like a long winter. And the invitation is that the spirit is here, and that you can put your roots into the river, and the, the spirit, the river, brings life into the tree to bear that fruit. Thirdly, if you feel like you're the best, you have awesome fruit, it's so awesome, or maybe that your plastic fruit looks awesome and you know it's just plastic, the invitation for you is to repent, to turn, to bring yourself before him and to say, Plastic fruit isn't going to cut it. I want real fruit, and I want to trust you and invite you to come and change me. We bring ourselves before him. So that's my invitation to you as we move into response time. Um, and I'm going to pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll have our, our time for you to respond. So, Jesus, I thank you uh, for this picture, for trees that bear fruit and um, I know for me, I long to be a tree that bears fruit, good fruit, fruit that would please you. 
And yet I also know that as hard as I try, it just doesn't seem to work on the day I want it to work. And that sometimes it doesn't look like there's very much fruit in the tree. And I struggle, I wrestle with how do I get that? And Jesus, I see your invitation is so clear that instead of religion, instead of doing more things, that we would come and we would trust you with our lives. We would rest ourselves on your grace. We would invite your spirit to compel us and to transform us so that we could be fruit-bearing trees that transform the world, that, that make an impact in Maple Ridge and Pitt Meadows, that make a difference in this neighborhood with people that we're meeting, people in our jobs, people in our schools, people in our, at our workplace, people all around us in our neighborhoods, Lord. Would you come and do that work that we could be trees that bring you glory, that bear fruit that brings glory to your name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness to do it. Amen.